Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She is so amazing. She deserves her own statue on Jeddah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Lindsay. I think, thank you. I just hope it fares a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't say what's going to happen to it. I didn't say what people are going to do to it. Statues in Star Wars, not always a good thing. We've got quite a few of them that that, that fall down. So, Uh, but no, Lindsay, you 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 deserve a statue in our hearts. I don't know what that means, but there you go. A permanent kind. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we are talking about uh, statues on Jeddah because we are talking about the Battle of Jeddah today. This is our part two to go with uh, our part one because that's how parts work. They go together. Uh, We did mm, a week ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, and I feel like it's going to be confusing because it's our part one that covers parts one to three. And then our part two. It's our first half, we'll say. It's not parts. It's what it's our first half that covers the first three parts. And then this is our second half. So, you know, it's halftime is over. We're in the game. We're here to win it, guys. And uh, we're going to go from there. So before we get into that, Lindsay, any updates on books or anything that you're excited about as we move towards the end of phase three of the High Republic? So... The thing to keep in mind is that we are recording this the night before celebration in London. And while no one on our team um, is heading across the pond to check it out, there is a High Republic panel and a publishing panel happening at celebration that I think we're all planning on at least streaming. Um, So it's not so much that I have had any major updates on what I've been doing for the past two weeks, but there is a big, big, big update in that we are just hours away from starting to get a lot more previews and and upcoming content that I'm excited about. Do you think we're going to get announcements about when Phase 3 is going to be both in Galaxy and when we're going to start getting some of those those parts? You know what I do? Um, I think that there's gonna be a little bit more information again this is all speculation um but i think that there's going to be more information than there typically would be about high republic and phase three because i am expecting that between the um star wars studios panel that's going to take place just 12 hours from recording this and between the ahsoka panel i think this celebration is gonna hype things up a lot more than um anaheim did last year and even chicago the the year before right chicago was so heavily weighted by episode nine is coming out here's the first first look 
I think this is going to be the year that we're really going to start hearing and seeing a lot more news about what's coming up than we have in celebrations past. So that's going to really amp up a lot of people and get the fan base going. And what a better time than to start plugging the High Republic for people who aren't super into it or aren't super aware of what it is because they're not reading the books and they're not into the audio dramas and things like that. Um, so I think we're going to, this weekend at Celebration, start to get more information about when it's going to come out on shelves and when it's going to be in universe just because i think they're really going to try and hype up as much as possible this weekend yeah i think that makes the most sense and and i know at the anaheim one last year they gave us uh more announcements and art and stuff for uh phase two which so phase two is only two waves so each wave in each phase has the uh, an adult novel a uh, middle grade novel and a YA novel so there's only these two which I I knew but it didn't quite hit me until I was I started reading Cataclysm and I was like oh this is this is going to be like the end part of, of phase two of the High Republic so I think they've got to set that up so that you can have like just content you know to talk about uh, you got to keep the High Republic show going on YouTube and all of those things uh, and also, I think they really want to put a major focus, especially with some of the news lately, on the things that are definitely happening. You know, um, there's that joke going around that they're going to announce three movies at Celebration that they'll cancel the day after or whatever. <laughs> um, so I think there's going to be a huge focus on the things that are already like in the can or have started production. So your Ahsoka's, your Acolyte, uh, and your Skeleton Crew. Um, stuff like that, but with the, we're, I'm assuming Phase Three of the High Republic is going to be, if not the end, a major end point in the story. I don't know if we'll continue into a Phase Four or whatever, but they are setting this up kind of like how they did the, you know, the originals and then the prequels and the sequels jumping around. So theoretically, I'm thinking it's the end of this particular iteration of the High Republic. And the Acolyte is going to be tied into that somehow. So if you're going to be giving stuff about the Acolyte, it makes sense to have some stuff about uh, High Republic that you can cross-promote. You know, if you are excited about the Acolyte, make sure you go check out these things. Um, so I definitely think we'll get some announcements. I have no idea what the heck they're going to tell us about. Um, that's one thing I'm really loving about High Republic is it's so fresh and new that it's hard to predict where they're going. Uh, even when you can see like, okay, this thread is going to tie through to, from phase two to phase one. Uh, you know, you're talking about the, the rows and um, kind of the setup of the path of the open hand reflecting the setup of the Nile, uh, you know, the, the Jedi, the different ways they view the force. Like you can see the threads and connecting uh, material, but you don't know where it's heading and you can't even... There's nothing even for us to really compare it to. You can't compare it to the prequels because the Jedi are such a different place. So it's a really exciting time to be a book fan, whether you are, you know, super into the High Republic or, you know, all the other great content that's coming out. We've had, God, we've had so many books this year that are just absolutely 
top tier between this year and last year that it's kind of insane but we are not yeah talking i would about- even say like between this this year and the past like the last three to six months of, of last year yeah it's been a lot in a short amount of time but it's all so good i mean we've got we had princess and the scoundrel shadow of the sith uh brotherhood like all it was it was homer after homer after homer they were just it just yeah. teeing off everywhere and it was amazing but we are here to talk about an audio drama, not a book, although it is in book form, and that is The Battle of Jeddah. So we are going to be talking about parts four through six on this episode. If you haven't listened to our first half, make sure you go listen to that uh, first. That's parts one through three. And we always give a rating before, so we're kind of mid-story uh, right now, so we did not give a rating at the end of part one. So just to kind of review... Uh, Lindsay, let's tell everybody what our ratings were starting the high, uh, excuse me, the battle of Jeddah. So I started out as a four out of five and you were at, I think I was a three out of five, right? I I think so. Yeah. Carabast. Yeah. I think, (laughs) and this is not to give too much away at the beginning, but this is one where I, I think it was three out of five because the more we talk about it, it was going up and up and up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, someone listen to part one and, and remind me how I felt, what was it, a week and a half ago about this? <laughs> it's, only got, it's only gotten higher. Yeah, and again, no spoilers or anything, but I'm reading uh, Cataclysm and the connective tissue is, like, even through the first 20 pages, if you haven't listened to Battle of Jeddah and you're, like, listening to us for spoilers to catch up, no, go listen to Battle of Jeddah because the ties are, are there. So... We start and, or actually, we ended um, part three with a riot starting. Um, we had the leveler going into the crowd. It turns a brother of the ninth door into a husk, as one as a, a leveler is to do, and starts affecting the Jedi. The Erno and the Irami start shooting. Both sides activate their militaries. We are at a full-on outbreak. So then. In part four, it is called Outbreak. And we start off with Creighton getting uh, Ambassador Xerox to her ship while, like, begging her not to fight. He's really trying to get her to, to understand, like, this is a misunderstanding. This is not a an attack from, from the other side. And one thing that I found real interesting was him not using the Force to manipulate and stop fighting. Um, this is such a desperate situation i think most of our heroes uh in most of our stories would use that ability and it would be more or less justified to to manipulate things for the you know air quotes greater good but the jedi of this era really uh, proclaim and live out that idea that yoda presents to ezra and rebels of how the jedi choose to win so uh, that was really interesting to me. And then we see Ada and Creighton kind of start working together to find a resolution to this conflict. So, Lindsay, what did you think about this team of Ada Forte and Creighton's son? Did you, did you connect with them? Do you think they are characters you would want to revisit? You know, it worked for me. What I thought was really interesting is that before this part, um part four and and before this outbreak as you will i can't quite put my finger on why 
And I think this is something I need to go back and reread or re-listen to, or hopefully you can maybe, being that you know me and, and you know this story um, well enough, maybe you can help me figure out why. For some reason, um, it those two characters kind of rubbed me the wrong way before it. And I don't know if it's because they were my least favorites in a cast of some really great characters where if the story had been just focused on them for a bit, I would have enjoyed them a bit more. But when you're looking at kind of this, this all-star cast and you have to have least favorites, it's just, it is what it is. Um, But seeing the way things played out and seeing the way we had to rely on on different strengths and different techniques, especially ones that were so different from the Jedi and the stories that we're used to. I don't know. It, it kind of came together for me a lot more than I thought it would at this point. Yeah. It, Creighton and Ada, I, I like them. I think they are more a plot device than they are characters. I think they kind of allow the you audience know, to see what's going on because a lot of they, – they have a lot of the, the the heavy dialogue about, well, this is happening here and this is happening there because they're the ones trying to coordinate to, to figure out a solution. Yeah, but so, so did Solandra at that point. Yeah. I think Solandra, because she, she was off on a different mission, more or less. You know, like she was off with P3, and Ada and Creighton were actually like together trying to coordinate. And you get the information of, well, the the guardians are here, and you go do this, and I'm going to do this, and mm-hmm. you know, you help this side, I help this side. We're only going to shoot the battle droids. And I feel like Solandra was more off on her own, not rogue mission, but a mission where she had to have a little bit more agency for the story than Creighton and Ada necessarily needed to have because they were just doing what Jedi do. And I think too, because Solandra was really interacting with a lot more of like the locale of Jedha, it was really easy and interesting to, to hop into that. Um, But it's, it's, I think you kind of nailed it when you said they're really more plot devices than they are characters. And that's not a bad thing. In a cast no, no, this no. size, where it's almost acting as more of like an ensemble, I think you need that for, to a certain extent because you can't be super and, and hyper-invested in every single character. So to say they're a plot device, I don't take that away from George Mann and his writing. I just take that as it's the nature of the beast, you know? Yeah, and plot device is like a an overplayed word that people use only in a negative connotation. But, I mean, you literally have to have things that move the story from one part to another. And with an audio drama, I feel like you you have a lot that you can do, but I feel like you're more limited than really any other kind of story that we tell because you don't have uh, visuals or words or anything that's as concrete for people um to remember where what's going on and where things are going on and people aren't sitting and listening to this whole story in you know a, a six hour span and just sitting and doing nothing else people are doing other stuff while they're doing it and so you do have to have just some characters that 
explain things and and get the story laid out for for us to follow and that's not necessarily a bad thing i do think there is a little bit of um that jedi righteousness starting to come out in the two of them because ada says that one day the jedi and the republic will create a peace so that nothing like this happens again and it's like mm, george man is too good of a writer to put something that on the nose uh and just be a lazy writer to just like say that to make the jedi righteous i think he's pointing to the jedi are getting a little bit full of themselves very slowly and starting to think that they are are unstoppable which will of course lead to them being able to be manipulated into the clone wars so i did like that little um added element there and i loved getting to see how the jedi and the guardian of the wills work together which we really got we got throughout the whole thing, but we really got in part four with Ada and the Guardians going to help. Uh, I think they helped the, the, the air know, you know, they were taking out the battle or the battle droids and everything. So that was a part I really like. So I, I don't dislike these characters at all, uh, but they definitely I think I think we can say Salandra and freaking P3, who might be my new favorite everything. Which you you didn't see and and speaking of p3 i cannot believe we got all of the first half down without really really talking about him um but is that something is that a statement you would have seen yourself making after reading just part one and part two and seeing everything that was going on um or was was this a big kind of shocking moment for you when p3 is becoming one of your favorites Honestly, it wasn't either. It was the second time that I listened through. Because the first time that I listened through, I I understood the fact that he only talks in these parables from the Church of the Force and whatever their religious text is called, maybe it's called the Wills, I don't I don't know, but uh he only speaks in the in these parables and I liked it and I you know, kind of just took it in stride, but I didn't really take the time to think about what he was really saying through those things because most of them he is saying multiple things at once, which I really, really liked. You know, I like that double meaning, that metaphor. So he'll say something. I don't have any of them written down exactly, but um, he'll say, you know, something about the the humble will, you know, prevail when they listen before they talk or something something like that right and it's telling kef to sit down and be quiet but also telling him like you are the humble one in this situation who's going to be able to get these people where they need to go so he's saying multiple things in in each one and it's just freaking funny like it's just hilarious you to know, see the other people and how they react to him it's it's it is funny i'll give you that much but for me if i'm being totally honest Maybe I'm an idiot, um, and maybe I was reading too much into things and not reading enough into certain other things. But for me, the whole time, this is something we really didn't didn't talk about a lot last time, but as I was reading it, it still has, on top of everything, on top of some action, on top of some, some cool Jedi stuff and, and different religions, it's still that element of a whodunit. And that was really cool to see where even as we have this countdown for 
for the battle. And even as we're waiting for all these events that we know are going to happen to take place, there really is still that element of let me figure this out for myself. And the whole time I was like, was P3 involved? Did that? Yes. <laughs> I was questioning that too. But then, yeah. but then I really like how it got flipped. And then P3 was the one who had the video to show that it was a brother of the ninth door. Yes. I, I thought that was yeah, a really was cool so well done. way. But that's why like the, the first real half, maybe even like 75% of this, this story I was kind of mp like, eh, P3, and then that happened. It's just like, this This really is so cool. It really is. Like, I honestly want a, I want a whole book with all his little parables in it. Um, and he does, he gets a lot more time in the second half. I think the first half, you, you want that whodunit aspect of it. And so you don't want him on screen a lot, uh, for lack of a better term, in your ears a lot. Because you don't want people to trust him too much. And I think when he's speaking the, the, the way that he does, it's hard not to trust him and feel like, okay, he's, he's saying all these good things and, and very clearly um, is speaking about morality and stuff. So he seems like a character that's coded to, to, to be trusted. And by keeping that distance from him, you keep that question of whether or not he was the one who actually did it. But once you secure and, and you establish very clearly that, okay, it wasn't him, um, then you get to play around with him a little bit yes. more and you get to see it him gives more you, as It a gives hero. you a new freedom with him because I know for, for me, um, going into the story and and you realize when when little switcheroos like that happen you have your guard up right you don't mm -hmm. want to get super emotionally invested in a character because you have these preconceived motion um preconceived motions preconceived emotions yeah you fi you figured out what yeah. where you were walking before <laughs> yeah. you walked there yeah yeah um but you have all these preconceived motions about them and it really hold you back from appreciating things in their fullest which is why i am so excited after talking more and more about this story to go back read the script again or give it another lesson whatever it is i have the most time for um but really let myself enjoy p3 during the first 75 percent of this again yeah yeah, he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun. Somebody that we didn't talk about a lot uh, last time was Keth, who uh, I guess technically speaking would be our protagonist. It's such an ensemble cast, it's hard to really nail uh, down. Who it, I feel like not so much protagonist, but we go at it with the point of view Keth does. Yeah, yeah, um, he's the... He's the layperson. Yes, of, hey, I'm kind of tossed in the middle of this. I don't know who's right. I don't know what to do next. And we get to experience the ride along with him. So I feel like it's not so much that he's the protagonist, but he's the point of view that we most relate to. Yeah. Did you, what did you think about him? Because for me, he kind of, he was a little bit flat, honestly. He was, he was probably the weakest part of the whole thing. Hmm. <laughs> I think he, at the, when you look at the events as a whole and how they played out, yes, 
you're right. He was, I struggle to say the weakest part of the whole thing because it's not that he was weak by any means. Um, but yeah, I guess when you compare it to everyone else, he was the flattest. That's not to say he was bad because kind of as I laid out, like he's the one who we relate to the most without trying. Um, so it's the same thing. Like if they were to drop you or I off in the middle of the galaxy, far, far away. And if we were to meet these heroes and, and just become involved in this way, I think we would have done everything that would have done in the way he would have done it. Um, that's not to make us weaker or flat by any means. It's just to make us normal. So I think it's not yeah. that he was a poorly written character or unintentionally flat. It's just he was, as you said, the layperson. Yeah, and his story doesn't really pick up until the very end. Like, till he hooks up with uh, Solandra, which I should not have said because he does not hook up with Solandra, <laughs> but he is working with Solandra. <laughs> the bells went off, and I was like, did I miss a part? That, um, that would not go over at Enlightenment. His friends would never let him live it down. Um, but once that team kind of gets together, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I... I like the way that he pushed Salandra because Salandra is so... I talked about last time how much I love this character and the idea of the shield and we are the shield and everything that she represents. And a lot of times like that, you look at these characters, like Captain America does the same thing in the Marvel Universe, and they have trouble letting other people stand next to them because they think that they have to protect everybody and that that shield means everybody must be behind me. I'm the one that has to take the brunt. And they have to get pushed out of their comfort zone into being able to trust other people to participate and and put their lives on the line and do what needs to be done uh, take that risk, all of those things that Keth convinces her to let him do. So I did like that part and how he pushed her. Yeah, and I guess I guess I can see your hesitancy with him a little bit more and, and why he might have been flat because he's not the protagonist. But if you go at it with the sense of, hey, he's the protagonist and he didn't do everything capable, but he did push, to your point, he pushed Lander to do more. I would actually have said, like, lightsaber to my neck, you asked me to pick who is the protagonist in this ensemble cast. I think I would have picked Salandra, which is why it's okay for me that Keth is a little bit more of that sidekick character. Because to me, if, if anyone, she has to be the main character. So it's okay to have someone nudging her along and, and being a little bit beatless to her. Yeah. Well, another character that pushed Salandra um, was the mother mm-hmm. because they had a little tit for tat. And I, I really think, and we talked about this a little bit last time, that the mother is one of the scariest best mm-hmm. villains since Palpatine because you know she's up to stuff, but you don't know what she's up to. Like, even knowing she has the leveler knowing that she wants to take out the jedi we still don't have a real idea of how she plans on doing that 
Like, is she just going to let it loose in the Jedi Temple? She doesn't seem like that kind of person to take that kind of risks, uh, those kind of risks. And she is in the background just puppeting this whole entire situation, which is just masterful. And that scene with her and Salandra talking and how the mother is so, you know, we have a different point of view, but we can get along and all of these things. It's just, it's so Palpatine. It is so Palpatine mm -hmm. in in a good way. Like, they're not doing knockoff, you know, cheap, we cloned Palpatine and put it in somebody else's body so that people will actually, you know, want to pay attention because Palpatine is the only villain in Star Wars. It's not that. It's not that. It's, this is a, a, a character archetype who we are who we've used before and we are using that same archetype but we're using it in a whole new fashion these two people have the same mission they both want to destroy the jedi but their approaches to them while similar are are very different you know um the mother is very upfront with her religious point of views and her goals uh as far as what she wants the path of the open hand to achieve she is building the gaze electric like out in the open. She's not hiding these things that she's building, um, all of these things. So I really love her well, um, it's... as a villain. But... Yeah, I, I love her as a villain too. I, I think we kind of, this is where we sort of ended off last week. Part of the reason I love her as a villain is because the motives are not so much that they're so much more pure. Because you can't say, like, oh, she's going to kill all these people. It's so pure. So cute. It's so cute of her. Um, but it's more understandable. You know, the way that the big villain everyone talks about now in terms of, like, look, if you actually listen to what they're saying, it makes sense, is Thanos. You know? Mm -hmm. Thanos in the Marvel Universe didn't go in and snap his fingers and destroy population so he could have power. He did it so that everyone else could live a better life. And that, I think, is why the mother is such an interesting villain compared to Palpatine, because, yeah, it is a lot of the same tactics. And it is a lot of the same, close to the same reasoning, just for a little bit better, a little bit more selfless than the Sith just saying, look, this is black or white, this is good or bad, we're here for the chaos, we're here for the power, we're, you know, we're the bad guys. The mother really does take this, and this is why she has so many more followers out in the open of, hey, if you, if you really listen to what you're saying, this makes sense. And I joked with our, our Path of the Sea thing, it? where I was like, I could see myself joining this cult. Like, I, I could see how someone gets wrapped up in this. But I think that's why, because look, if you were to sit there and listen to the mother's point of view about the Force, and you were sit, to sit there and listen to Palpatine's point of view about the Force, which one would you subscribe to? Oh. We have such a limited, like I'm thinking about all the stuff we have of Palpatine's view on the Force, and the majority of it is... I feel like in the Darth Plagueis speech. Yes, it is. About, yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm really stuck on that line he says uh, to to understand the Force, you must understand all of its sides. When he's talking uh, to Anakin in the hallway scene, 
I think the mother is definitely more believable. I think Palpatine is more correct. Ooh. Because I do think one of the biggest faults of the Jedi is not understanding all the sides of the Force. Um, and not necessarily even accessing the dark side, but being able to understand it and and outside of this abstract it's a bad thing and once you touch it you 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 know can't come back it's it's over for you and we've seen as the jedi progress uh from you know we we have uh seer in uh i was gonna say jedi battle scars but we're not talking about that one yet fallen order um who touches the dark side and and that's a a part in battle scars that they talk about is is how she handles coming back from that and stuff we see it with anakin we see it with uh luke going close to the dark side the prequel jedi are so limited in that aspect that they don't under really understand the risks it's so abstract to them whereas with the mother i i think she has good ideas about how the force could work but I don't think she has evidence to back up that that is how the force works. Like you, she's, she's talking about if, you know, something happens over here, we've got this butterfly effect and something else is going to happen over there. And it's like, okay, but can you prove that those two things go together? Like, can you mm -hmm. prove that by saving this life, I'm costing this life? No, but you can prove that you saved this life. So it's, but you know what, that I think is too, why the High Republic and why very specifically the bat, the Battle of Jedha is so interesting with her is because we still really have no, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but we still really have no real evidence that she's force sensitive, which is why I think very much along the, the terms of Keth and why we can relate to him so much is because they are as best as we have the laymen in this. And we can yeah. relate to them. So I can see why the mother is, is skewed in this, but she feels so righteous. You know, there's that level of righteousness to her. And, and really, I guess when you think about it with every person and with every faction in this, where you can't discredit them because they don't believe the things that they're preaching. Everyone in this story, and that's what makes, you know, I would even say part four in and of itself so interesting is everyone is so firm like in the mother beliefs. really does she believes what she's saying and i i don't think palpatine always believes what he's saying um he he's about the manipulation i don't think the mother is trying to manipulate people um i think she's trying to manipulate situations but i don't think she's actually trying to manipulate people i think with marta and um, even with the Herald, she's not puppeting them. She's puppeting the situations around them. And I think that's an important uh, piece to consider because I do think she wants to do what she thinks is right for her people. Uh, and that's what makes it even more challenging because you're like, yeah, I want you to do what's right for your people, but what you're doing is not what's right for your people. And there's a level of hypocrisy in how she handles everything. She wants it to be this community, but she very clearly places herself above other people. And um, she came in and took over this organization, basically, uh, that existed beforehand. This isn't something she built. This is something that she reshaped in her image, which is 
you know, kind of terrifying when you think about that manipulating situations. Uh, and it's just the, it's the logical fallacies that get me, you know, um, she preaches that if you, you mess with the force in one place, it's going to affect the force in another place. There's no evidence to back that up. Right. But let's say you do believe that. Okay. Taking out all the Jedi. How is that? You have no idea how that's going to affect the Force. You've got a whole group of Force users over here that the Force gave, you know, these people the Force powers to entrust them to do what they are, you know, hopefully out there doing. So you're saying that you know better than the Force. That's a, a real logical fallacy that, that I think has to be answered of how can you say that you wanted the Force to be free when you are not trusting the decisions that the force very clearly made because this isn't like you know oh this person proved that they were were worthwhile and so they were able to gain this power you know this is this person was born with this power which means in in this galaxy the force granted them access to it in that fashion so they obviously wanted them to do something with it so you by saying that you're, you're you're literally saying you don't actually trust the force and so that's the part that really gets to me with her uh, is i understand how especially in the outer rim um because i think that the outer rim is is an analogy for uh our more under undereducated populations and this is not a knock on anybody but you know, it is easier in an in undereducated area to take advantage of people and get them emotional and get them to look past those critical thinking aspects. And I think the reason that they are in the outer rim and she is in this, you know, middle of nowhere place is because these are people who haven't had as much access to life experience. Mm -hmm. And so they're easier to take advantage of. And once you get that base, then they're able to wrap in other people and and, and the educated and the well-to-do can start going, well, maybe I'm wrong. That's a really great point. Um, I do kind of want to, though, make sure we have a lot of time to talk about um, parts five and six. And I think something part five does, and here's going to be my segue, part five does a lot better than we do, which is make it nice and quick. <laughs> I, think, I think the beauty yes. of part five and why everything really comes together because it still felt like part five, the reckoning had these really deep elements, right. Of what is the force who is right? How do we use it? And how do all these people with different ideas come together and still coexist and still really not just coexist, but hopefully thrive. Um, but the, the amazing thing for me for part five was this is where it really shows the strength of this format of having an audio drama because something where I don't know why I feel like I keep giving uh, Alphabet Squadron like shout outs and sometimes even negatively. Um, but this is a consistent thing for me where I say it can be really hard to read about battles mm -hmm. aftermath did it so poorly because it was so <laughs> yeah. much like like here's this ship here's what it looked like it was at a 15 degree angle because it was at a 15 de de uh, degree angle we couldn't do this with the ships 
Alphabet Squadron did it better because there was that emotionally invested component, but it was still really hard to follow. And then phase one of High Republic, I think, was also sometimes really hard to follow just because it's hard to read about dogfights in space. And it's hard to read sometimes about hand-to-hand combat between multiple factions. I think it's worth noting on that point, though, that it or that is also really hard to track when you have a bunch of different characters all having battles mm-hmm. at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah. That was, oh, yeah. you know, that was a uh, rising storm. That was one of the big things for that. So I think that's a, a factor as yep. well. Yeah, but I think an audio drama was a really nice place for this because having those kind of real quick moments followed by like a scene break and resetting it, it was a nice way of getting into what's important without getting hung up on what's not important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I liked how you, you know, you knew, okay, when we're with this character, we're supposed to be focused on this character. They weren't trying to give you a whole bunch of uh, Easter eggs and introducing new characters mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, it, this would have been a really easy point to really delve into the Guardians of the Wills and what are they actually mm-hmm. doing to protect. They didn't do that. And that's something I think that George Mann did beautifully is he wove in these other elements that we had. He provided Easter eggs and connections and references and all of those things that, you know, the big nerds like us look for, but they all contributed to the story and they never detracted from the story. It was never like one of the knocks on Solo is, okay, like that's a cheesy way to just say that he got his name. That was unnecessary for the film. Whereas here you you have the Guardians of the Wills and they serve their purpose for the story. We still don't get a lot about them. We get a couple guys' names. We don't, but the story is not about them, and they are there to support the Jedi and make it more believable that they can actually pull this off. And another one of those examples that really stood out to me was the Protector statue falling, which is the the Jedi that we see on Jeddah in Rogue One. And this is a testament to how well George Mann wrote this script and and the amount of time and and thought he had to put into it. And also just the consideration of all those other elements. This would have been so easy to make this whole story about that protector statue falling. And it's just like, here's this story about how the statue fell on Jeddah. And that's really what the story's point was. And that wasn't it. It was a cool element that added to the story. It gives us background information for another piece of the Star Wars story, but it's a metaphor for this is the start of the fall of the Jedi. Yes. One, I I couldn't have said it better myself. Like part five is for me when a story usually starts to crumble because we get so much deep, like, character and plot development and then it just becomes this battle sequence and it's funny because i feel like it's not even sometimes where it crumbles just in terms of books for me but even like movies and tv shows you know if if the battle isn't done well it can be really hard to stay invested in certain stories if it is done well you become even more invested and this is one where it did well both because of george mann and because of the format of it being in an audio drama. Yeah, absolutely. And and another element that I think added, you know, the audio drama adds is being able to 
to get those sound effects and everything. And I really loved the sound effects that they had uh, for the voice of the Brothers of the Ninth Door. I thought that was so well done. It conveyed everything that it needed to convey. It alluded to, um, you know, it has that, that echoey kind of voice, which alludes to Palpatine in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, you've got the, um, the uh, weapon in rebels in the season two finale um that has that echoey kind of sound mother talzin so you you very clearly establish it in the lore without having to spend a lot of time um saying like these are are the bad guys but what i love about it is he introduces them in i think part part two i think it is with this backfiring speeder right and it's like this side moment that doesn't really seem that important it shows you that Salandra and them are are still nervous about another bombing right because the the speeder goes off and it sounds like another bomb it's a it's a false uh occurrence and later in the story you learn on multiple levels that that kind of facade is what the brothers of the ninth door are because they in themselves create this facade where people see something else rather than what's there, but they are also the ones that are are getting pinned for doing this when really it's Tilson Graf and the mother behind it. So I love that all of these different elements of the story, even these side moments that seem like just character building or not that important, come back and they they foreshadow or they they foreshadowed all of these other elements in the story. I feel like I'm, I can really concretely give a higher rating now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's so, it's the end just like, like you said, there are so many times that the books fall off at the end. Dark Disciple, for example, two thirds of that book is possibly the best Star Wars book ever written. Mm-hmm. The last third is a mess, um, and I, I love that book. But I, I'll give credit, and this is where I'll say George Mann is at the level of. And I know whenever in Star Wars we talk about at the level of, everyone probably assumes I'm going to talk about Claudia Gray. I'm going to shock everyone, Drew, most of all, of saying that George Mann is at the level of E.K. Johnston because. That is someone who, when you look at Ahsoka, when you look at the Queen's Trilogy, and even though I'm not the biggest fan of the Queen's Trilogy, what a great job of still making these clear, hyper-tense moments where you're invested in the character and you can still really picture what's going on. It's just such a good, quick battle sequence. And it is, again, just a testament to George Mann, and it's a testament to it being an audio drama. And I think it just really worked. Um, But I think Ahsoka did the best job of, unlike Dark Disciple, where it falls off, Ahsoka's really where it starts to all come together, and this is up there where it really starts to all come together for me. These these key elements and and what I think are going to be huge turning points in character development um, with the mother... And Salandra, right? You have Salandra saving the mother, and um, I think that that's going to that conversation afterwards will lead to kind of some second guessing about whether 
the path of the open hand really is the this group behind all of these occurrences because the mother seems again seems so genuine in her beliefs the extent to which she is genuine i think we'll we'll find out um because you also get the flip side and this is what makes her such a compelling villain is you're like i kind of believe her but she's also the worst she <laughs> kills tilson graf um after he's like, well, you got to take me off planet because I know everything. And she's like, you're right. You do. Pew, pew. And then Tilson Graf is dead. So um, that was, a, I think, a really important moment worth noting that I think will come into play later um, on. But as we move to the end of part five and into part six, of course, we have, you know, Keth laid his life down to save Salandra and become a hero and all of those things. Um, and so... She she takes his body to uh, the Temple of the Kyber. And I, I just really liked, you know, Star Wars is subtle at times. And I think, you know, it's we, we spend a lot of time talking about the multiple meanings um, that things have and the metaphors and everything. But I did like when they go to the Temple of the Kyber and uh, the gentleman there is just talking about how even though Keth wasn't you know this big prophet or a great jedi or anything like that all he, he he swept floors he still had great importance to his people and to the people that he influenced and that even those small acts uh if they if they were all he had done he would have made a positive impact on his world and on the galaxy and i thought that was a really cool thing to just just lay that out there make it clear because i think that's a lesson that we you know need more in our our society and if we're going to have him be the the everyman of the story our point of view character i think that that's something good for us to take away from this story of so much death and destruction and and failure by so many people um to just have a have part of our story that's like this this guy just did what was right because it was right and it wasn't Yes, he wanted to have his own adventures and have his own story, but he was influencing people without doing that. And I think as we get these Jedi who are continuing to, you know, we've got to think the fall of the Jedi, like this is leading to that, even though it's a long way away. The losing of that idea is what starts to lead the Jedi in the wrong direction. So did you feel like with the Salandra Keth stuff at the end, that it was too upfront, or are you with me um, on the correct side about it was something important to just have upfront in the story? I mean, I think it was important, but it was also crucial to the High Republic, and it's something that can so easily be lost, especially when you title an entire era the High Republic. Like, of course, it's going to seem so grand and and so important, but. A big point of Star Wars isn't just, hey, look, I'm part of this family and it has all these powers and look at what I can do with power. A big part of Star Wars is that reluctant hero. And that's something that I think up until this point, the High Republic has kind of been missing is that reluctant hero because everyone is so grandiose and like, I'm here, I'm going to save the day. This is my responsibility. I'm going to do what's right. And they become almost more like Aaron Sorkin characters, whereas I think Heth was more of a George Lucas character. That is a, a very good analogy that about three people are going to get. So <laughs> <laughs> those people are you, Aaron myself Sorkin and Drew. <laughs> um, yeah, no, 
I like that. The ending, it was a little bit heavy-handed for me with the whole like, let me tell you the story of Catherine and everything. But it, but it was, it was cute. It was Star Wars and ends on a happy note kind of thing. Um, so we end the story with Irem and Erno back fighting each other. The war is back on, and Creighton and Ada are going to go to to Dalna to investigate the path. So we're gonna get uh, at least the Irem and Erno story in cataclysm i can tell you that because i've started it and it it starts with that it starts uh right around well not right around exactly when the battle of Jeddah starts so if you enjoy the battle of Jeddah and you want to see more of the consequences of this story you definitely gonna want to check that book out and then um i think we'll get more of the path probably in the ya genre because i feel like it that story just will fit better um there and we started you know with the path of the open hand really in the YA novel, and uh, so I think they'll continue the basis of that story there. So that's where you can find more of of the Battle of Jeddah and the, the consequences of this story. But the consequences of us talking about this story is we got to give new <laughs> ratings. So, Lindsay, you've already given a clue that your rating is yeah. going up. Tell us what your new score is. It is. Okay, so my new score is 4 out of 5. Um, I, I just think I won't even say anything more about the story. I'll say more about the power of having a community to talk about Star Wars with, because this is one where had I just listened to it and had you and I not had this format to sit down and talk about it, I would have listened and been like, that's cool. And kind of like called back little references to it every now and then, but it's so much fun having people to talk about Star Wars with and really being able to appreciate and understand why certain things might be important to some other people and and picking up on things that I might have missed up missed off of um, or even just hearing things that I just skimmed over and not realized the importance of like this story and this two-part discussion really is to me the importance of having these stories and having a community to talk about these stories with. So four out of five for me. Four out of five. All right. So I'm going to go five out of five. Yeah. And the reason is, so I think audio dramas are hard for me because it's just not how I like to take in stories. It's more of a... Says the podcaster. No, but yes, because I can go in and out of a podcast and, and keep up. It's more of a sensory thing with all of the different noises yeah. and everything can be disruptive for me. But I don't think it's fair to hold my own personal bias against the story that the George Mann told. And the story that he told is absolutely fantastic. And thinking about it, I mean, early on when we started this podcast, you know, we were apprehensive to give things you know five out of fives because what if something better comes along Mm -hmm. you know and I think we are at a point now where at least on the book publishing audio drama side of things with all of those going together they have figured out what makes Star Wars work on the page I think in in a very special way I think they've got their core writers they've got uh you know the they know what they're doing with the books the, the High Republic is its thing, and then you've got the other one-off novels that each has a very particular purpose uh, and a particular idea to convey to enhance something else or 
fill in a gap. And so I think it's time to to just let the five out of five start to flow because they are really hitting it out of the park here. Love and it. Love it. I would love a, I would love a full like novel interpretation of this story, like not the script, but let George Mann rewrite this as a full novel would be so cool because it really does work on on so many levels. So I'm excited that they brought George Mann into the High Republic. You know, he's obviously you know done a lot of other stuff with the the legends uh, and lore books that we have, uh, myths and legends. I think is what they're called, and yeah i'm just excited to see what he continues to put out and hopefully uh he's somebody who is continuing on to phase three of the high republic but we will have to wait and see uh for that high republic panel uh and maybe more announcements at celebration you might know already uh what is coming up in in phase three and so tell us what the future is like we want to know. Uh, you can do that by going over to Twitter, uh, Instagram, or Facebook and just searching Classic Savers. You will find us there. Of course, we have our Facebook group. That is a very active community uh, talking about the TV shows, the books, everything else that's going on in the Star Wars galaxy and also sharing uh, your own content. So, Lindsay, if they want to, to talk to you, best place to do that probably is that facebook group right it is star wars clashing savers um like i said we at the time of recording are now just 11 hours away um from um star wars celebration i just so viewed you like knowing. panning over to your like countdown clock on your wall that has like star wars it's celebration. Pretty, it's pretty, yeah that's pretty much <laughs> what, what exactly what just happened um but really tag me there let's start a discussion because like i said this story specifically i think is so important and such a crucial piece of you need that community to talk about these stories with they're so impactful they're so important um so please, please, please join our Facebook group, Star Wars Clashing Savers, because it's it's so much fun to talk it about really these. Is. And I love talking about this. So head over there, tag me in, and let's chat. And if you love talking about these things, you love sharing these stories like we do, uh, nominate a teacher. I've got a ton of books in my closet just ready to go to teachers' classrooms. They don't have to be a Star Wars fan. They don't have to teach reading. They don't have to be anything except for a teacher. And I can tell you, every teacher wants books in their classroom. Every teacher wants high-interest books in their classroom from pre-K all the way up through 12th grade. Uh, we have books to give uh, to to these teachers to share with the kids and get books like this, you know, like The Battle of Jeddah, which is a script book that aren't in a lot of libraries. Be able to get those in there. Be able to share comic books. Be able to share even legend stories. You know, we we don't discriminate when it comes to our nonprofit side of things. So the link for that will be in the show notes. Uh, you just have to go over to our website and nominate a teacher. Spoiler alert, everybody that's nominated gets selected. So that's awesome. And uh, we'll get some books to them as soon as possible. But as far as the books that we're going to talk about, our next one, I think, is going to be uh, Battle Scars, Jedi Battle, Battle Scars, Scars yeah. and then uh, probably Cataclysm after that. And I can just give you a little preview. The Battle Scars episode is going to be fun. So until we get there, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, 
Don't burn the sacred text. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers network and clashingsabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to clashingsabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away.